All right. We have Brother Joseph. He's going to speak for us tonight, kind of finish up our subject that we went through during the summer. And so uh, thank you for being in your place. Brother Joseph, why don't you come? Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. Uh, I think you have a handout. They should be getting them out right now. Thanks for being here on an off night. I think all the scriptures in there. Of course, feel free to turn to it if you'd like to in your physical Bible. And by the way, great messages the last couple of services with Brother Board. I don't know about you, but man, I was blessed. I was challenged. And I hope that uh, each of us would allow the Holy Spirit to continue the work that he started uh, in regards to our responsibility about the gospel, right? And so, uh, just good, good, good stuff. And praise the Lord also for a great day on Sunday. Uh, how many of you were here Sunday morning in the service? How many of you were in here? I know some of you serve and some of you are out. Man, that was a good day. It's not a fall program, not an anniversary Sunday, and man, it was packed. I think we had extra chairs all the way one, at least two, maybe three extra rows, and up there is getting pretty full. And so Pastor alleges that he has a plan once we fill it up in here. I don't know what that plan is, but I'm looking forward to it because we might need it before, uh, before long. And so, uh, but praise the Lord for that. I think we had, at least that I know of, five people saved here on campus, at least. That's just what I heard. And then if you were in here, you saw five people were baptized and all different types uh, of, of just different ranges of people. So we had a, a third-generation Christian, right? Miss Karen was reached through the bus ministry. She came. And then now Daniel and Belan are here. And Ava was baptized. Three generations. That's what it's all about, right? And then we had uh, two bus kids who, from what I heard, where's Bowen? Maybe I shouldn't put you on the spot. From what I heard, they were saved that day. Talked about baptism. I'm not going to ask if you ask their parents to sign a liability release form, but they were saved that day. Follow the Lord, they're teenagers. Follow the Lord in believers' baptism yep. that day. And then two adults as well. And so praise the Lord for what he's doing in our church. Pastor mentioned that we have 38 people currently. Majority of them are not here tonight out doing discipleship right now. And we're not big on numbers, right? I know some churches in, in their bulletin, I left mine back there, but they'll post, uh, they'll post uh, the offerings and they'll post how much we're in the bus routes and how much attendance. But Pastor mentioned we had over 1,000 people here uh, for church just this past weekend. And, and I'm glad, I don't know about you, but I'm glad to be part of a church where the Lord seems to be doing something. And a week, there are plenty of churches where you can just sit, slide in, get comfortable, not too much is going on. I'm glad that our church is not like that. And it's only by God's grace, thank God for pastor's leadership and, and just good people that serve and that go out and take the gospel out and sow seeds, as we'll talk a little bit about tonight. And typically, the summertime is not really our high time, if you would. People are on vacation. People are out. We had a tremendous summer. We really did. We're gearing up for what we anticipate God will lead to have or provide to be a great harvest this fall. I mentioned this in a Saturday devotion a couple weeks ago, but Brother John, I don't know if you can relate to this one. Uh, maybe not. You're a different category. Uh, but they've, they've said that, if you, if you talk to people, I've, I've heard this quote, that the second best day in the life of a boat owner is the day that he goes, whether it's to Bass Pro, if it's a lake boat, or down to the marina, if it's a 
a deep sea boat. Second best day in his life is when he goes and he gets that boat. He, he, he gets it on that trailer and he, he gets it home. He say, what's the best day in his life? When he sells that thing, right? <laughs> now, Brother John, you're a different category. I know you like, you're, you're good, right? Uh, when I thought about that, when I heard that quote, I thought about our church and one of the best, probably the second best time in our church on the calendar year is when pastor stands up and graduation's just finished, right? Around May for the college, June for the school. And pastor gets up and pastor says those three words, summer is here, right? And we pass out the summer calendar, right? It's got the sun on it and it's blue and yellow and it's bright. And, and we talk about youth conferences coming, right? And summer saturation and vacations and the whole nine yards. And we're looking forward to the summer. Probably second best day on the calendar year at PBC. You say, what's the first best? Time on the calendar year. I'll tell you what it is. When pastor gets behind this pulpit and he says three more words, Pepper John says, no, he says, he says, summer is over, right? It's over. And it's normally around, uh, that time is normally around Labor Day. And he's like, get the last three-day weekend out of your system. Get back in the routine. No more live stream church. We're back in, in routine, right? We're back in schedule. But why is that the best time of the year? Because around here, the fall time is harvest time. It is. And for some reason, well, we'll talk about some of the reasons tonight. God has just chosen to bless the fall time here at Pacific Baptist historically like no other time in the year. It's our best soul winning time. It's our best reaching time. It's our best growth time. And it's our best discipleship time. And by the way, we're anticipating that again this fall, which is coming here. Actually, it's right upon us already. Again, I don't know about you. I want to see God do something great again this fall at Pacific Baptist Church. But even more so than that, I don't want God to just do something great. I want to personally be a part of it. And I hope that's your heart, not just to watch God do greatness all around you, but to be a, a personal part of helping what God wants to do through his church. That's you and that's me here at Pacific Baptist Church as we make a difference in the lives of people in this city. But the harvest didn't just happen. And just happened by accident. Doesn't happen by osmosis. Go ahead and look here at your notes. I just want to look at two things in introduction, uh, two simple thoughts, prerequisites to each of us being involved in a great harvest. And then I'll talk about three simple considerations about the harvest. The introduction will be about as long as uh, the bulk of the message, and then we will have our singles retreat meeting, go home and look forward to singles retreat. First of all, Two prerequisites and introduction to a great harvest. Here it is. Letter A. Letter A. If we're going to have a great harvest time this fall, as I believe the Lord wants us to, we are going to have to see the harvest as Christ sees the harvest. See the harvest as Jesus sees the harvest. Look at the scripture there, Matthew chapter 9. And if I can say this, there is a great harvest Outside of these doors, Brother, Brother Board talked about the four walls. There's actually more than four walls. It's like one, it's all, you know, fan-shaped or whatnot. But I guess the perimeter is four walls. Um, there's a great harvest out there. But God's already begun to bring a great harvest in here. I'll talk about this in point number two. But there are a lot of new people, right? A thousand people on Sunday. There's not a thousand people here tonight. You say, well, why is that? There's a lot of people to get to grow. There's a lot of people to become core and serving and faithful and fruitful and going out and doing likewise, right? And so 
there's a great harvest out there. There's a great harvest out in, inside of here. But the question is, do we see it? Do we see it? Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 to 37, it says, But when he saw, he what? Oh, talk to me. When he what? One more time. When he what? He saw. No, Christ saw. But who else also saw? The disciples saw. Those there saw. We'll talk about that in a moment here. He was, what's that next word? Moved. He was moved. With compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers were few. When he saw the multitude, he had compassion because he saw the harvest. I heard a story about a, a struggling businessman, and, and just he was struggling to make ends meet in his business. And so he decided to take a couple weeks out, maybe a week and a half off, and uh, go out, and he just went to have some solitary time. And so he went out to a kind of wooded area, forest-type area, and he happened upon a rather large field. And as he walked up to the field, he noticed that there, there was somebody on the other side there, and so he walks up, and as he looked at the trees, he noticed something peculiar. He said, you know, I know what kind of tree that is. So that's a, these are black oak trees, very valuable, kind of rare. And so he walked up to the man that was there in the field, and he said, hey, he said, I want to know, can I purchase some of these trees? And he was, you know, he's thinking finances. How can I try to get back on track and make ends meet? And so he asked the guy, and the guy said, I'm, I'm just, as Tim likes to say, I'm just a cook, right? Uh, some people act like they're the cook, but we know better than that, right? Um, the no English card, right? Oh, I, I don't know. You know what's going on. But he goes, I, I'm, I'm not the owner here, but I can get word to the owner. He said, yeah, please, here's my contact information he said, I'd pay 400, 600 bucks per tree here because he knew the value of the tree. So the intermediate guy went and he found the owner, went to the owner. He said, hey, there's this guy that wants to buy the trees here in your land. And the owner said, I ain't got time to talk about trees. I definitely don't have time to write up a contract and try to sell tree by tree. Just sell him the land at face value and whatever he wants to do with the trees, he can do with the trees. Got word back to the guy. Man, it was his, uh, that was his lucky day, right? And so he went and he said, man, that's the, that's the buy of a lifetime. And so we went and he purchased the field. And for decades and decades and decades, he made great profit off, that, off those trees. Why? Because he saw the value of something that others didn't see. They both looked at the same thing. One understood the value. One did not. I think sometimes we can be like Jesus' disciples when we or out there and we see the people, or sometimes God brings people in our way. What do you see? What did the disciples see when they looked at the multitude? Here it is. I don't know if you have this in your notes. Don't think you do. You can listen in. When the disciples saw the multitude, they saw physical needs that would cost too much money, and they wanted to send them away. Right? That's what the disciples did. When they saw the little children come to Jesus... The disciples saw distraction from the adult ministry that wasn't worth their time. When they heard the blind man calling out, Son of David, Son of David, they saw instead, or they heard instead, a hindrance from the work and tried to keep him away and keep him quiet. When they saw the lunatic, possessed child that the disciples couldn't cast the demon out, they saw someone who was too far gone, a case that was too hard for help. When they saw the Samaritans whose hearts were prejudiced and racist 
and hard. And by the way, there's plenty of people out there like that today, are there not? On all sides of the spectrum, right? And so when they saw the Samaritans who were prejudiced towards Jesus, because he wasn't going there, he was going towards Jerusalem, what did the disciples say? They said, Lord, call down fire and judge them. What did they see? They saw people who should be judged. When they saw the Samaritan woman, they saw a lady who in their self-righteous selves and eyes thought they had no business looking at. The question is, what did Jesus see? When Jesus saw the multitudes, he saw a hunger for something that bread and even fish could not fill. He saw, when he saw the children, he saw little ones with the capability for a faith that many of us no longer possess. When he saw the blind man, he was thrown to the side, told to shut up and sit down. He saw an individual who was worth stopping his journey and stopping his direction for to see that man's life changed. When he saw the little one who was crazy, rambunctious, rebellious, couldn't be controlled, and whose parents had lost hope, and they believed that hopefully Jesus was the only hope, he gave his parents a hope that he could be helped and that he could be restored. When he saw the Samaritan woman, he didn't see a lady that had been divorced seven times that was shacking up, probably didn't dress the way she ought, probably didn't look the way she ought, wasn't hanging out where she ought, but he instead saw inroads to a community and he saw that he could, through her, change that entire community. You see what the disciples saw, you saw what Christ saw. The question is, when we see the multitudes today in our city and at the grocery store and at the gas station and the people that come on into our church, what do we see? We're going to have a great harvest. We've got to see people like Jesus sees them. When we see the bus kids come in, what do we see? When we see the elderly rolled in on the wheelchair, where most people out there would say they're at the end of their life, they have nothing left to give to society, Christ sees people that he loves and he cares for, and we happen to be his hands, we happen to be his feet, we happen to be his heart and his love, and we can extend that to them. What do we see? We can see what the disciples saw, or we can see what Christ sees. I want to challenge us, when it comes to the harvest, let's see what Christ sees. And we'll act as Christ would have us to act. Uh, I, I think of, I asked Tim, I know on, on Sunday, uh, you had one of your construction guys that I've been seeing, I forget what he does, there's so many of them, sitting with him in church. I shot Tim a text last night. Today, hey, Tim, since you took the, uh, construction project, how many of the construction guys have you either seen come to church, some of them still in church, and or saved? And, and, and just him alone, just Tim, Tim alone as our construction guy, he's seen five of them come to church and get saved, eight of them come to church in general. You say, you say what is that? That's, that's somebody that, by God's grace, doesn't just see workers, doesn't just see skilled labor, he sees souls. Amen. And when we're out on the job site, when we're out co-laboring with whoever we labor with, we see our co-workers, we see our family members. What do we see? You all remember when Brother Gary got into a car accident? You remember that, uh, uh, Pastor? This was a few years ago. He got into a car accident. Uh, they, they slammed into his Tesla. Now, if I had a Tesla and someone slammed into my Tesla, I'd probably be kind of upset here, right? Um, and that's speaking in the flesh. Come on now. You all look at me weird like you wouldn't. Yeah, okay, whatever. Fix your halos. Uh, but he, you know what? He took that as an opportunity to do. He saw that she was visibly shaken up. Rather than rail on her, he shared the gospel with her. Yep. She got saved. If I remember, she might have gotten baptized as well. Yep. That's seeing as Jesus sees. Yep. And I could go on and on and on. You might see a bus parent, and you say, that bus parent is never going to come. You never know when their season of the soul is. Amen. I remember we were, on a bus in, uh, we were on a bus in China. If you've never been on public transportation, 
in Beijing, China, I think there's 16 or 22 million people in that city, it's just like you would imagine it to be, and then two times worse. Um, that's pretty bad. <laughs> you squeeze in. How many of you guys remember that squeezing? And they literally push you in there. Um, and, and my uncle, he was traveling with us, and, and he said, before you get on this train, just remember this. Uh, less than 1% of the people on this train are on their way to heaven. He said 99 point whatever percent of them that you will see smashed together in this train that come in and off every single day. Millions and millions of them are on their way to a Christless eternity in hell. That's the difference between getting irritated because, you know, a guy guy elbowed you on the way in and seeing as Christ sees. And I could go on and on, but number two. Oh, I think you have this in your notes. Let me give this to you. It starts in our eyes when we have the eyes of Christ. It proceeds to our mind when we think about it, and God willing, it will affect our will. A letter B, let's move on here. Next, we need a sense of urgency about the harvest, not just to see how Christ sees. We can't stop there. we got to realize there must be a sense of urgency when it comes to the harvest. Look at John chapter 4, verses 35 and 36. Jesus said again to his men, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. There's yet four months, and then comes friend day, or then comes Christmas, or then comes New Year's. Don't say that. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes. And what's that next word? Oh, uh, one more time. Let's, let's uh, probably read a little fast. Say not ye, there are yet, under letter B, four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes. And what? We just talked about that. And what? And look on the fields, for they are white, already to harvest. We got to have a sense of urgency when it comes to this thing about getting people saved, getting the gospel out, getting people into church, and seeing their lives changed. Uh, I read an illustration uh, about a couple weeks ago about a junior high boy, Christian home, and, and him and his dad were going to go and. Uh, they're going to go soul winning. And they, they, by the way, not a bad thing to do every once in a while. Just, hey, let's go soul winning, right? And so he, he said, hey, let's go. And, but it started raining. It was probably a storm just like that horrible hurricane, that life-threatening threatening hurricane that kept a couple people out of church that one Sunday recently. But most of you were there. Thank you. But it started raining. It actually started pouring. And the dad said, you know what? We're not going to go tonight. We can go a different night. And that young man, I, I appreciate his zeal. And he said, Dad, come on. The rain's coming down. People are still going to hell. And the dad said, I don't think I'd have the heart to do this. Isn't it convicting when your children convict you? Never had that happen before. Little Pharisees. But, uh, you know, you, you, yeah, sometimes they can be pharisaical. But the son said, well, Dad, if you're not going to go, can I go? I wouldn't do this. I, I, my man card, I'd have to turn in my man card if I agreed to this. But... He said, sure, go, go for it. Don't go far, but go out. That young man man went out for almost two hours. Come Sunday, he was passing out tracks, and come Sunday, there was a a new lady that came to the church, and the pastor asked her uh, about how she heard about the church. And long story short, she said, you know, the other night when it was raining, she said, "I've, I've, I've gone through the fire, and I was at the end of my ropes, and I was going to end my life. She said, I had gone upstairs and I had hung, I had tied a noose. I was just going to end it all. She said, but shortly before I was going to do that, I, I heard a knock at the door. 
She said, I tried to ignore it, and someone kept knocking and knocking. Maybe they knew I was home. And eventually I went downstairs, and she said, in the rain, this young kid, this boy was there, and he handed me a track and, or an invitation, and he said, I just want to let you know that God loves you. And he shared the gospel with her. If I understand, either there at the door or at the church, she got saved. You say, what's the point? There was a young man that understood the urgency of getting the gospel out to the world. And I have a question. Do we have a sense of urgency when it comes to the gospel? We've got to have a sense of urgency. Why? Because, well, first of all, Christ is coming back. We don't know how much longer we have, right? You can see the signs of the time all around. Next, there's, uh, we've got to have a sense of urgency because there's people out there with no hope. We've got to have a sense of urgency. Why? Because there are families that cannot wait to get the gospel. There are families that if they wait any longer, they're done. They're falling apart. It's over. we got to have an urgency because there's a marriage that's at the brink of divorce. we got to have a sense of urgency because there's an elderly person at one of those homes who doesn't have much longer. And if someone doesn't give him the gospel on time, he's not going to be saved in this life. There's a young person out there that's about to ruin their life with drugs or with the gangs or with immorality. We've got to have a sense of urgency. Why? Because if we don't get out there, it might be too late. Let's have a sense of urgency when it comes to sowing the seed and getting the gospel out. Let me challenge us. Let's not wait. Let's not wait till 2024. Let's start right now. Let's not wait till friend day. Let's start right now. Let's not wait till our kids are older. Let's start right now. Let's not wait till we're older. Let's start right now. Let's not wait until we have more time. You're not going to have more time. Once you have more time, you have less energy, and that'll be your excuse. Let's just get out there right now. Let's not wait. Let's make a difference with the gospel for the sake of eternity. Let's have a sense of urgency. Now, in the time that we have left, I understand we have a meeting. It won't take too much longer here. But once we see how Christ sees, and once we have a sense of urgency, those things in and of themselves don't get the harvest here. Right? Seth, you can see the multitudes and you can cry in your car all day long. Okay? Right? You can... Have a sense of urgency, all right? We gotta do something about it. But you actually gotta do something about it, right? And so let's look at a couple things here when it comes to, it all goes down to sowing the seeds. Sowing the seeds. And you say, who sows the seeds? I'm glad you asked. Us, right? God's people. So for a few minutes here, let's talk, let's look at three, uh, let's consider three principles of a great harvest. If we're going to have a great harvest, this is what it's going to look like. Number one, I want to look at the reason for sowing. Look here at 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 16. Got about, I'll take about probably 10 more minutes here and we'll be done. The reason for sowing, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 6, I think you have it there, but this I say, he which Soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reach also bountifully. Yeah. Say, how are we going to be a church that sees a great harvest? What's the reason for sowing the seed? I'll, I'll tell you. How are we going to have a great harvest? By sowing a bunch of seeds. Yes, sir. Sowing a bunch of seeds. You know, if I have to choose between, you might have this here, a measly and a weak harvest or a bountiful harvest, what kind of harvest do you want? Talk to me. What kind of harvest do you want? I want a bountiful harvest. Well, according to the passage that we just read, if we want a bountiful harvest, how do we got to sow? We got to sow bountifully. If we want a great friend day, we got to sow a lot of seeds. 
If you want to see many souls come to Christ, we've got to sow a lot of seeds. If you want your bus route to grow, Seth and Daniel and other Daniel and the rest of you that work on the bus routes in your area, you have an area yet? So-so? When is it going to go from so-so to, yes, soon. Okay, good. Uh, How are you going to get your own area? Sow a lot of seeds. How are you going to start a new, we've talked about starting a new bus route. How's that bus route going to thrive? Sow a lot of seeds. How's our Sunday school class going to grow? Sow a lot of seeds. How are you going to see more people saved that you can have added to your account in glory? Sow a lot of seeds. How are we going to make a difference in Long Beach? 500,000 people almost. I'll tell you how. By sowing a lot of seeds. And as a church, let's be like that church in Acts that turned the world upside down. You remember Acts chapter 8 verse 1? Let's turn there. I don't even have this in the notes. Let's look here. Acts chapter number 8. Acts chapter number 8, verses 1 through 4. Let's just look at verse number 4. There's a persecution of the church. You know that this is where the gospel exploded. Look here. The Bible says in verse number 4, it says, Therefore they that were scattered abroad, first the people were scattered. Well, they didn't just scatter. They took something with them. They that were, therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the what? No, talk to me. Preaching the what? They were preaching the gospel. You say, why did the New Testament church make such a difference? Because everywhere they went, they were sowing seeds. How is Pacific Baptist going to make the great difference that God wants us to make this fall? When we go everywhere, sowing a lot of seeds. I want to challenge us. Let's not miss a, let's not miss a week of our, I, I, I want to call it what it used to be called, reaching unashamedly, right? That's it. Let's every one of us that are here, I think there's only five weeks, Pastor, because that sixth week, I think we have couples retreat, then we have Thanksgiving, then we have the Christmas program and all that. I think we have our winter revival. It's five weeks. Can every one of us here commit to be here for just just five weeks of reaching unashamedly? Can we do that? If every one of us, I don't know, maybe 200, I don't know. I think we we printed 175 and and we might have run out. Let's say there's 200, 250 people, I don't know, on campus here tonight. Can you imagine how many seeds that is over five weeks, half an hour, 45 minutes? That's a lot of seeds. That's a big difference we can make. Soul winning. Friend day is coming up. Pastor said it for the first time in our meeting today. Friend day is coming up. Let's start thinking who we can ask to be here for friend day. If we had, let's say, 400, 500 adults here on, on this past Sunday, what if we all just had two people here? Man, that's a big harvest. Let's sow a lot of seeds. The reason for sowing is because... If you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. i got to move here. I'm going to take about eight more, seven more minutes here. Next, number two. Number two. We said, number one, the reason for sowing. Number two, the reaping of sowing. The reaping of sowing. The Bible says if we sow sparingly, we'll reap how? But if we sow bountifully, we will reap how? So, If we go out as a church and we sow a lot of seeds, the Bible says most likely by God's grace, we are going to what? We're going to reap. Okay, hold that thought. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. I'll tie these two together. Paul talked about a church where he had sowed seeds and he had brought them up and nourished them and cherished them. Look here. He said in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, I think you have that in your notes, right? Okay, look here. So we see that Paul, he said, I have planted. I have what? So he sowed the seed, right? And what happened after he sowed the seed? 
begin to sprout, right? Okay, so keep that thought there. He said, I have planted, and Apollos did what? But God gave the increase, right? First, I see the reason for sowing is because if we want a bountiful harvest, we're going to have to sow bountifully, right? But secondly, I see the reaping of sowing. If we go out there and we start to plant a lot of seeds, we're going to start seeing some sprouts come up, right? There's going to be people that sow. I want us to see this. I think you might have this in your notes. We're going to look at that graph in a second here. Once the seeds sprout, look there, there's a great need for laborers to reap and water the seeds that have been planted. You can go ahead and fill that in here. Look here. I have another bullet point here. I'm just going to read for sake of time. God has already begun to bring the harvest at Pacific Baptist Church. If we haven't seen that, we're kind of blind, right? God's already started bringing them here. We've started sowing seeds. We're going to sow a whole lot more here by God's grace this fall. But God started bringing people. There's, if we are going to see baby sprouts turn into a fruitful harvest, for harvest, we need many people who are willing to water and disciple and be a part of reaping the fruit that God brings. So here's the thought. I'm gonna, I'll move quickly. We had over 1,000 people this week, Pastor. Over 1,000. Are they all here tonight? Y'all can talk to me. It's not a bad answer if you say no. Are they all here tonight? You're like, I don't know. It looks like 1,000 people here in the auditorium. All right. Perception, right? Uh, are they all here tonight? Do you think they're all in their Bibles every single day? Do you think that they are, they've all gone through discipleship? They've not. Do you think that the, that the husbands are all leading their wives and leading their children according to the Bible? Probably not. Do you think all the families are in unity, serving the Lord, going forward, making a difference for Christ? Probably not. So, seeds have been sown. God has already started to bring an increase, right? Baby sprouts all over our church. We anticipate that God's going to do that on a greater scale. Well, I don't even know how we're going to fit friend day. But who's going to take them? Who's going to be the Apollos that waters those sprouts? Who's going to be the Apollos that that sees somebody that's coming faithfully, faithfully for three, four, five weeks and says, you know what, I'm going to take that person under my wings. I'm going, to, I'm going to make a difference in their life. I want us to look here at this chart. I was going to have it on the screen, but look here. I want you to see the difference between simply sharing the gospel, seeing somebody saved, or investing in someone, watering that seed, seeing their lives change and see them go out and do it the next year. Look here. This is very important for us to understand because if we grasp this concept, we're going to go plant seeds. We're not a church that just, uh, that just sits back and wait for people to disciple and go do life with people. We don't do that thing. We do do life with people. You get it. We're going to go out and evangelize. We're going to share the gospel. When God brings people here, I want us to see the impact. If, like Brother Board said, every single one of us will say, by next year at this time, there's going to be somebody whose life is different because I poured my life into theirs. Look here. If, so you see on, here, here's the soul winner, right? That one, let's say that's, that's me, or that's you, right? Then you see the, addition, the growth by addition. That's people saved. And you look at the next one, it's growth by multiplication. That's people discipled. And so let's look at year number one. This goes to 33 years. There's about eight and a half billion people in the world, and if you didn't have your coffee, you're probably lost by now, but that's okay. So, year number one, 
If I were to go out, Brother John, and I were to see 30 people saved in a year, is that pretty good? That's, that's not bad. That's two a month. Fairly consistently, every other week I'm seeing someone saved. That's not bad. It's not bad, right? Pretty good. So one person goes out, and they see 30 people saved in a year. That's the one chart. But look at growth by multiplication. Or someone goes out, Brother Angel, and disciples one person. All right? So let's look here. Let's look at year number two. Year number two, that same, that person goes out and sees another 30 saved. You went from 30 to what? 60. So in the second year, first year you got 30 people saved. The next year you got 60 people saved. And the person who's discipling someone, him or her, and that other person, they went, Brother John, and they discipled two more people. So you got 60 people saved by addition, but you got four people saved by discipleship. Look here. Let's look at the third year. Looks like the people that are seeing 30 people saved a year running away with it. You see that? All right. Year number three, guy gets another 30 people saved, and how many does he have? 90, right? Then those four people that were discipled, they all went out, and they're only getting one saved. And if they're a true disciple, they're probably seeing more people saved. But they all went out, and we're at what? Eight. Man, by year four, the people that are just getting saved, they're, they're running away with it, Right? By year four, we're up to how many? Those saved? 120. Then those eight went out, and all of them just got one person discipled. And how many are you at? Let's skip down to year number, uh, it flips on, uh, flips on year number eight, right? Let's go down to year number 33. A faithful soul winner, and we ought to, a faithful soul winner can, in 33 years, can see almost 1,000 people saved. But if he gets a vision to go out, and make an impact in the life of just one person. And pour himself into that person. And then, Kev, you and I, we go out and you go reach somebody, just one. And the next year, I'll go out and I'll do the same thing. I'm just going to reach one. I'm going to pour my life into one more person. You're going to pour your life into one more person. We've got four people, right? And then those four go and pour their lives into four more people. You're at eight, and then it goes to 16. In 33 years, over 8 billion people would have been discipled. That's the population of this entire planet. That's the difference between just sowing seeds, and we're going to do that, but sowing seeds and watering them and reaping them. Does that make sense? i got to move here. Number next. Uh, Number three, and we will be done. Number one, there's the reason for sowing. Next, there's the reaping of sowing. By the way, we need more people helping take people to discipleship, right? Uh, Go to your adult Sunday school teacher. Go to your bus captain and say, hey, how can I help reach somebody? Look for somebody in the church that you can disciple. And then we're done. Number three. Number three, then there's the reward. There's the reward of sowing. Proverbs chapter eleven eighteen says this. I think you have it in your notes. To him that soweth righteousness shall be a sure what? A sure what? A sure reward. The Bible also says that we shall reap if we faint not. You know, for the ministry worker, you have this here. The greatest reward of the harvest is seeing seeds sprout, grow, and bear fruit. There's nothing as fulfilling. He says, is it a new job? No. Is it a new promotion at work? No. Is it a new car? No. Is it twice as much in my bank account? No. Is it buying Tesla stock 15 years ago? Well, that's pretty good, but no. You say, what is it? It's making a difference and doing something significant with my life for eternity. 
I'll take that over any car. I'll take that over any house. I'll take that over any job promotion. I'll take that over any raise. I'll take that over anything this world can give me is knowing that I made a difference for the cause of Christ in the, in the lives of others and for eternity. And that's the reward. If we go sow the seeds, if we all get a vision to disciple and to water those seeds, there will be a reward. And I have on here, and I don't have time because I'm going to close it up, but I have person after person after person after person who people have poured their lives into them. I think, where's Brother Dan? Right there, right? Brother, uh, Brother Gary and others have worked with you, Brother Dan. Now he's ushering, right? He got his suit, got his, he, the whole nine yards. Man, it looked like a new man back there. That's what I'm talking about. And we had music orientation. Brother Nick said a bunch of new people who want to serve in our church. That's the reward of sowing seeds. That's the reward of pouring your lives into someone else. And that's the reward of following the gospel, as God tells us to as a church, seeing the fruit that grows and the fruit that remains and makes a difference. Let's stand together. I'm looking forward to a great fall and a great harvest. That's every single one of us, every one of us. Let's sow seeds, let's water those seeds, and see God bring the increase.